0: Good morning. So I am going to address the elephant in the room, a.k.a. the children in the room, because it is Family Sunday. And I'm going to put all of your minds at ease by saying I'm not only an elder here at Family Care Network, but I'm also Alex's dad. And so I can assure you that no noise that comes from your kids is going to rattle me whatsoever. So um, don't worry about your, your kids in service today. Just enjoy God's word. So um, this morning, I have the pleasure to bring to you um, a great epic story, an epic story of failure, an epic story of fishing, actually two different epic fishing stories, and then also, most importantly, an epic Savior who forgives us all of our sins, even our most epic sins. And I'm going to do that by we're going looking at a relationship between one of the disciples and Jesus. We're going to be looking at Simon Peter and his relationship with Jesus. And one of the first things that happens um, when Jesus first, first starts spending time with Peter is that Jesus goes out and he preaches from Peter's boat just offshore. and, um, and he's preaching back to the crowds that are on the shore. And Peter had been up all night with some of the other fishermen that he was with, and they had fished all night long, and they caught nothing. And from my friends that are avid fishermen, that's called a skunk. They got totally skunked, not one little tiny fish, not even bait fish, right? And so after Jesus finishes preaching, he turns to Peter and he says, Hey, Peter, push off into some deeper water and cast your net in again. Give it another shot, buddy. You can do it. And Peter gets a little like, I don't know if I should do that. Like, I mean, he is Jesus, but I know how to fish, right? And so he squawks a little bit, but he actually pushes off and he follows Jesus' command to, like, throw his nets in the next and try again. And so the nets go in. And the catch is so big that the nets they're fishing with start to tear. They have to call in another boat to help get all of this great catch in. And what I want you to see that's most important for our conversation today is how Peter responded to Jesus. Sorry. (laughs) When When Jesus does this miracle in his life, the first thing that Peter does is this. And it's in verse 8 of Luke chapter 5. He says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. One of Peter's first encounters with Christ is this deep reflection of how sinful Peter really is. And Peter recognizes his sin, and instinctually Peter says, depart from me, Jesus, get away from me, I'm sinful. And we know, a lot of us know most of the story, he becomes a disciple, he becomes a close friend of Christ, and thankfully Christ does not depart from him, and he doesn't depart from Christ. But as you sit here today, Some of us have those same feelings. Depart from me, Christ, I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinful woman. And so I wanna look at the passage again today of Luke 22, 61 through 62. Because even though he told Christ to depart from him and he saw his sin in those first interactions, he continued to sin. He continued to sin against the Christ, against Jesus, his friend who he loves. And and Jesus told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And this is what happens in Luke 22. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That look, that eye-to-eye contact is right after he's denied Christ for the third time. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, How he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. I've been there. There's days that I still get there. One of the times that I wept because of my sin was when I did one of the many dumb things I've done in my life. But on a whim... And I'm going to clarify what on a whim means. On a whim for me, it means I went and did something without talking to my wife, Tammy. <laughs> That's a whim. So on a whim, I go, um, I leave work and I go and we have this, this nice truck. And I don't even want to say this out loud that I wish I still had today. This nice little truck that served practically all of our needs. But there was a selfish part of me that said, I want a different car. And so I went to this used dealership, and I traded in this totally paid-off truck, and I borrowed some more money, and I got a totally new, different used car. And I did all that without talking to my wife. And I remember coming home, and I remember sitting on the bed, and I cried with her, because I knew that, like, I had Betrayed her trust. We had decided long ago in our marriage at this point that like, we're not gonna buy big things without talking to each other. And for our family, cars are big things. You may be in a different financial position. Um, I'm the treasurer, if that's not you, come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> um, but, but I cried, because I betrayed her trust. I did something that I said that I wouldn't do, and I did it. And we've all been there. And, and sometimes we carry that with us. And we have what the enemy says about our past. It's like, remember that time you bought the car? Remember the time that you did this? And we start to feel and think and believe the lies of Satan. And the first one is that you're unforgivable. Your wife's never going to forgive you for buying a car without even talking to her. Are you kidding me? Christ can't forgive you for that sin. That hurt a lot of people. And you may be sitting there today saying, Daniel, if you only knew, if you knew that sin that I'm hiding, if you knew the sin that I haven't told you about, the sin I haven't confessed, you would realize that that sin maybe is unforgivable. But it's not unforgivable. There is no sin that we've committed that is unforgivable. But like Peter, we hold on to this false this false belief that Satan has given us that maybe it is unbelievable. And so our first instinct is Christ, depart from us, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. You can't be by me, you can't be around me. My MO is normally to hide like Adam and Eve. I may not be telling Christ to get away from me, but the same way Adam and Eve hid in the garden after they sinned, they tried to hide from God. That's what I try to do. And so maybe you're here today and you're believe, believing a lie that you're unforgivable and you're trying to hide from God or tell Jesus to depart from you. Or another lie that you may be believing is that you're unlovable. Satan wants you to think that like what you've done, your sin, your past, all of that stuff that you're carrying around with you makes you an unlovable person. And you compare yourself to others. Maybe you had a hard time Time even liking yourself sometimes, and then you start to compare yourself to other people. I have a brother who I used to call Peter Perfect because oh, he was good. Like, Jesus totally loves my brother Clay, he's even a pastor, he's been a pastor for years. And so, it we get we have these people in our lives, right? It's like, well, Jesus can't love me, but he can love my brother, he can love that person because look at what they're doing. And that reminds me, like as we're talking about Peter, Peter's one of his closest friends, John, wrote the Gospel of John. Um, and in the Gospel of John, he referred to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And so Peter even has this close friend whose identity is like Christ loves him. And so that was John's identity, but I don't think that it was always Peter's identity. The other, the other lie that we believe at times is that we're useless. Because of all the things that I've done in my life, because of the sin that I have, the sin that I continue to fight with, like, I'm of no use. I can't seem to do anything right. And then we look at Peter. Peter, he tries to walk on water, fail. Peter goes up onto the mountain with Christ. God comes and shows Christ in his um, glorified body with, Moses and Elijah and impulsive Peter's like oh build tents for all these guys we're going to have them come up here and worship for us and it's like Jesus like no that's not what I'm here for fail so he impulsively does all of these things and then before we read right before the rooster crowed he denied Christ three times after Christ had told him that he was going to do it and one of my favorite failures of Peter is that his friend John, in his gospel, like like writes this out, and Mary comes, and after Jesus, his resurrection, and Mary comes and says, hey guys, the tomb's empty. And so John documents this foot race where John totally beats Peter to the empty tomb. So Paul can't even beat his friend in a foot race to the empty tomb. So. He thinks he's useless, another lie. And maybe you can relate to Peter, but just like Peter, all of us have to learn that if you can't let go of your past, you can't take hold of God's purpose for your future. And so that puts us back into our story that we're talking about today with Jesus on the beach with his disciples and with Peter. and. It's after Christ's resurrection. It's Christ has come and he's risen from the dead. He's paid the price for our sins. He's in his glorified body. He's showing up in rooms without using doors. And Peter sees him, hears him talk, has an opportunity to touch the, touch the wounds in his hands and his side. And so Peter has seen the risen savior. And so what does Peter do? He goes, fishy so what else do you do right Peter goes fishing again and he takes some of the disciples with him and once again similar to the earlier fishing story that we told they fish all night long and they get skunked again they catch nothing but then they hear a voice on the beach and it's calling out children did you catch anything no It's like, try the other side try the other side of the boat and so this time without any objections, they, they throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they catch another huge catch in their nets. And something about that clicked in something about that clicked in John's head. Maybe John's remembering that past great catch. Maybe he's remembering the time that you said, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. But John says, Peter, it's the Lord. And he knows he knows it's Jesus and so what does Peter do remember last time he said depart from me Christ but Peter does something drastically different this time in John 21 7 it says the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter it's the Lord when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. John and Peter were out fishing, and Peter, his impulsiveness comes in again. But this time, he's like, I know it's gonna take so long to drag all of these fish this hundred yards back to shore. I can swim faster. And so somewhere in those three years, Peter had really internalized that he wanted to be with Christ. He didn't want Christ to depart from him anymore, but he wanted to be with him. So he dives into the water after he gets dressed. And so, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us in our culture. That's not really what we do. Oh, I got to get my outer garment and get a little more clothes on, and then I'm going to swim 100 yards. Um, But... But Peter did that because he was probably naked or close to naked when he's out there fishing, um, getting dirty, and just out of respect and decency, he gets dressed and he swims to see Jesus. And once they get to the shore, Jesus invites them to take some of the 153 fish that they've caught. And um, when you read this story, that's something that kind of sticks out, right? It's like 153 fish, that's a very exact number. It's not 152, not 151, it's 153. And so it leads us to believe that they counted the fish. And so why in the world would they ever count the fish? Um, And so what does that mean for us? Well, there's some commentaries that, Explain a lot of different thing. I think the most bizarre one that I'm not going to give any credence to is that it has a secret meaning, guys. 150 means something super secret. And if you take the square root of 12 and then you divide that by 8 and then you add, like, when the lunar eclipse happens and Jupiter's in full whatever, then we can really figure out what this means. So there's people that believe this 150 thing means something big. I don't think it means anything like that. It could have been something just as simple as, this is a lot of fish. We're going to count them. And maybe they'll take our Polaroid and put it on the bait shop, right? And then we can say, oh, those guys got 153 fish. That's insane. Or it could have been that they just count the fish so that they can divide them up. And when they take them to market, everybody that was fishing gets their just share. So... I'm not 100% sure why they counted the fish or what all of it means, and there's even more um, exple- ex, ex I can't even say that word. Ex, go, uh, explanations. I lost that word. I'm getting old. Um, in the Bible, but it did remember. I, it did remind me of a time that I was talking to Brad Knoll about an epic fishing trip that he had, um, where his fish got counted. And so, Brad is out in the ocean with his buddies and they're fishing not with nets but rods and reels and they just keep pulling in fish after fish after fish after fish and pretty quickly they fill up all of their ice chest and they're like this is awesome so they head back to the port and then they're pulling up into the port and there's already other people there at the port too and it looks like they're kind of watching brad's boat and then they motioned for Brad and his friends to come over and they're like, hey, we're from Fishing Game. Let's count your fish. <laughs> and so Brad's fish got counted because they wanted to see if it was the right kind of fish, if he went over his limit and all of that. And I'm going to give you a little hint. He did go over limit and he caught the wrong kind of fish, but I'm not going to tell you how that turned out for Brad. You can ask him next time um, you, you see him. He tells that part of the story way better than I do, anyway. And so I don't know that there's a great significance for the exact 153 fish. Fishing game wasn't on the shore with Jesus, but I do know that Jesus was there and he was making breakfast for his disciples. And that gets us to John 21, verses 15 through 17, when it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Through this simple yet painful interaction with Christ, Jesus is doing a few things. He's helping Peter see that he can be forgiven. Three denials. Three, do you love me? But he's also pointing out something to Peter that's a little more subtle. He's pointing out that although you can't change your past, God can change you for his purpose in the future. See, Peter is having a hard time letting go of his past life. He's returned to fishing. He's holding on to that past life. And Jesus was pointing this out to Peter um, by calling him Simon son of John and I'm sure you've already noticed like this whole passage is like I'm talking about Peter Jesus calling him Simon son of John it's the same person because in John chapter 1 verse 42 Jesus um, renamed Peter it says he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said you are Simon son of John you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's a very common practice to give people new names to kind of like look to the future. We see that with Saul and Paul in the scriptures and things like that. Jesus renamed Simon, son of John, to Peter. But here on the beach, you see him calling him by his old name. He's calling him Simon, son of Peter. And he's wanting Peter to see you're still holding on You're still holding on to your way. You're still holding on to the things that you want to do and how you want to do it. And he wants us to let go of that. He wanted Peter to let go of it so he could move forward in Christ's purpose. And so, how do you let go of your past? How do you let go of your past failures and your past sins? The first thing that you do is you let Jesus forgive you of your past. You let Jesus forgive you of your sins, which part of that is acknowledging them. And we notice in verse 15 that Jesus asks Peter if he loves me more than these. And so, going back to the commentaries, there's a there's a few different things that that could mean. When Jesus says, "Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these boats and these nets and this way of life, do you love me more than this old way of life? Or it could mean, Peter, do you love me more than these other men love me? Do you love me more than John loves me? Do you love me more than all of these other people? And that's the one that I'm gonna kind of focus on, and I totally got, I missed one of them, so I'm gonna go back, but i come back to that one. The other one it could be is that do you love me more than you love these other men? Do you love me more than you love your friends? Do you love me more than you love John? And the third one that we're gonna focus on today is the one that I already said is, John, or Peter, do you love me more than John loves me? Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And, and I'm going with that one today because I really believe that that's something that, that Peter struggled with. Peter throughout the Gospels, you see him doing these impulsive things. You see him trying to prove himself to Christ. You see him trying to prove himself, trying to earn his keep, trying to be something that he can't be, trying to earn Christ's love. And even in Luke chapter 22, we're told that there's an argument between the disciples. And what are they arguing about? They're arguing about who's the greatest disciple? I don't know what standard they set. Um, It could have been something like, oh, you only cast out two demons today. I cast out three. Or it could have been, Jesus, come on, Jesus just fed thousands of people. I finished cleaning up my basket full of leftovers 15 minutes ago, and you're still working on yours. Let's get going. He told us to collect the leftovers. I don't know how they were gauging who was the best and what they were, but there was this... There was this active argument about, this is why I'm the best disciple. And I don't know what their standard was, but we know what Christ's standard was. Because he comes into that conversation and he says, guys, I don't care who's the best. What, what I've come to do is to show you how to be a servant leader. I want you to follow me and my example of being a servant leader. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. It's not about who's the greatest so that you can lord it over other people's heads like the Gentiles do. And then in the same passage, Jesus comes to Simon. There's his old name again, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Jesus knows that Satan wants to take Peter and separate him from Christ and sift him from wheat. And he warns Peter this. And so, Peter still doesn't get it. He comes back in Luke twenty-two, thirty-three, and he tells Jesus this. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. So, Peter goes right back to his old pride, right back to like, I don't care if Satan's trying to sift me, I got this, I can do it my way. I can earn your love, Christ. I can show you how much I love you because I'll go to prison for you, I will die for you. Jesus, next thing he says to Peter, catches us up to what we're talking about today. He tells Peter, oh Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. Not only are you not gonna go to jail with me and you're not gonna die with me tonight, you're gonna deny me three times. And he does. He denies him three times. And so we get back to the beach. And Jesus is on the beach. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Two times Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And then the third time when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, you know everything, Jesus. You know that I love you. And when we stop and we look at that, that is such a true statement. Jesus knows everything. Every time he asked Simon Peter, do you love me? He knew that Peter loved him. So Jesus wasn't asking him for his own, like, tell me how much you love me. He was asking because he wanted Peter to remember that he loves Christ. And now that Jesus has gone to the cross, taken the wrath of God that we talk about every Sunday on himself and paid the price that can never be paid, John can, Peter can move forward in his love for Christ without having to worry about all of that sin and all that failure that has weighed him down. And that's what God wants us to remember too. God wants us to remember that his grace is bigger than our sin. And we see in John, first John chapter one, verse nine, it says, But if we confess with our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sorry, I went to old King James, to cleanse us from all wickedness. First John 1 9. So we can confess our love for Christ, and we can confess our sins to Christ, and we can be forgiven for it, and we can be cleansed for it, and we can move forward in our lives, and in our purpose and our service of Christ. And then that puts us into the next point, which is our standing with God is determined by relationship and not by rules. You see, Peter, um, Peter was told repeatedly, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And if we think back to a lot of the preaching that Jesus did when he was with Peter, he did one of his great sermons, and he said, you've heard it say, do not commit adultery, but I say if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. High standard. You've heard it say, do not murder. But I say, if you hate someone, you've done the same thing as murder. And Jesus, like, has set some very high standards, and and he basically says, if you want to have a relationship with God, it requires a perfect, perpetually personal relationship and actions to God. That means you personally, you have to be perfect, and you have to be perfect perpetually, forever. That's what it takes to have a relationship with God. That's the law. And so... But here we see Christ's tone change because he's not focusing on like how to meet the law and how to have that relationship with God without Christ. He's saying, I did that. I lived a perfect life perpetually and I died on the cross for your sin and took the wrath of your sin on myself so that you can let that go. So no longer is it rules. No longer is it rules, it is now a relationship with God that helps us to move forward in serving Him and loving Him. And this reminds me of a time that our family was asked to watch um, one of our friends' um, rabbits. And so, um, but we already had a history with rabbits. We had this cute little rabbit named Ginger, who lived on our porch in her rabbit cage, and we kind of took care of Ginger, but Ginger did not make it. Ginger didn't last. Ginger was a good lesson to our family about how fragile rabbit lives are. Um, And so our friends um, ask us like, hey, our daughter Bella loves this rabbit more than anything on earth right now will you watch the rabbit for us while we go on vacation? And our first instinct is, depart from us. We are not rabbit tenders. We cannot do this. Um, And we were scared to watch this rabbit. And so they reassured us. It's like, you'll do fine. You'll take care of it. And so we spent the week or however long we had this rabbit freezing, like chunks of ice in our freezer and putting it in the rabbit's cage so it didn't get too hot, because if it gets too hot, it dies. We're cleaning the cage, we're feeding it, we're checking on it, almost like it's a newborn infant. Um, and um, I was told in first service, I forgot to tell everybody how that turned out, the rabbit lives. <laughs> and I had, I had a couple of people like, what happened to the rabbit? So the rabbit lived. Um, but the point of it is, is that we, did all of that not because we love their rabbit more than ginger we didn't do it because we're like oh we got to prove to our friends that that we're good people and we can care for rabbits we did it because we loved them we did it because we didn't want to be any part of pain or suffering that came to Bella if her if her rabbit died we wanted out of our love for that family to please them. And that's what Christ wants us to do now. That's why he reminds us. He reminds us that we're children of God and he reminds us that he knows we love him. Because out of that love he wants us to move forward. And just like the children that are sitting next to you today in service, they may get a little wiggly and squiggly like Alex but there's nothing they're gonna do that's going to change their relationship with their mom and dad. They're always gonna be your son, they're always gonna be your daughter. And that's why in John 1, 12 through 13, we see the same thing for us. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. We're all children of God who believe in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And now as a believing child of God who loves Jesus, we're able to step into our future. You can step into your future with confidence now. And this goes back to our story um, in John 21. And Jesus tells Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And that seems a little obscure. It's kind of hard to interpret. But what he's saying is like, Peter, You did what you wanted in the past. You did it your way. You tried to please me. You tried to prove your point. You tried to prove that you got this without me. You did all of that in the past. But in the future, somebody's gonna lead you where you don't wanna go. And the stretched out hands means that it was a foretelling of Peter being crucified the same way that Christ was crucified. And church history tells us that when Peter got to that point his, his pride was gone because he said crucify me upside down I can't be crucified the same way that my savior was he realizes that Christ did it all for us and there's nothing that he had to do or could do And so now I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and start passing out communion And I want all of you, and I want myself to remember, that God saves us from all of these past sins and all of our past failures, so that we can step into our future with him. And in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, it says, Paul says this to us, not that I have already obtained this and I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forget what lies behind and strain, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press forward on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling us he didn't figure it out. He didn't do it, but he's pressing forward. He's pressing forward in his love for Christ to meet that upward call, the upward call to love God and to love each other. And when I am here, and if I were to ask you, do you love Jesus? Most of you would say, yes, I love Jesus and what I want you to remember is that Jesus knows that you love him he's paid the price for all of your sin against him and against God you can let it go your past sin, your past failures you can let it go and you can move forward in God's plan for you now some of you and I'm glad you're here, you may be like, I don't love Jesus. I don't really know what you're talking about. My understanding was that kind of the same as Peter, you gotta earn it, man. If I'm better than that guy, or if I'm just not that bad, then I'm gonna make it. And and that's what most, if not all religions except Christianity teach. It's like, you gotta earn it, man. You gotta do it yourself. At least, or very least you got to help god do it we don't it's all been done for us and christianity is not a religion of what you can do it's a it's a religion about what's already been done for you and we have a savior who did it all he lived the perfect life he died on the cross he took the wrath of god he took the wrath of god for you and for me because we couldn't do it. And that's why we can rest on this last truth, which is your story isn't defined by failure. It's a testament to God's forgiveness and victorious grace. We're gonna take communion, just like Jesus had breakfast with his disciples. He also had another meal with them before he went to the cross. And he sat down with them and he said, this is bread and I want it to represent my body, my broken body for you. And this is the cup, this is my blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And my blood is gonna be shed for your forgiveness. And every time you meet, do this in remembrance of Christ. So I'm gonna give you a few minutes to remember Christ and to remember that you love Christ and then I'll come back up and we'll take communion together.